All right, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of In the Can Podcast. Uh, this week, we're doing a special episode where we're going to recap the Traverse City Film Festival with Devin. Yo. I'm Tom, and it's just going to be the two of us this week. So, Devin, how was your week? This week or last week? Well, last week. Uh, last week was good. I was able to shotgun 26 movies in just over five days, so... Well, that sounds like it's quite a full list of... Just a little bit. Averaging five movies a day for five days is... Yeah, it's a little <laughs> daunting, but it was kind of fun. That's good. Um, so what... Most people don't get the opportunity to actually get to go to a film festival or experience film festivals in any way, shape, or form. What can you tell us... What are film festivals really like? The big film festivals are probably a little different, like the Tribeca and Cannes and uh, South by Southwest. But the Traverse City Film Festival, the one that I've been going to for 15 years now, yes, the 15th year, it's a little different because it's a invite-only festival. Okay. You can't just submit a movie. They actually have to approve and invite you into the film festival. Okay. Uh, so you get a pretty, pretty good um, level for the entire festival. But for those going, for myself and so on, uh, you definitely get a whole bunch of good movies. And this is where it's if you're not me, because <laughs> most people go to like maybe one, two films a day and call it a day. Uh, I find a lot of people go 10 to 15 during the course of the festival, whereas I'm 26. Gotcha. So you're the high end then. I'm what Morgan Spurlock would call a super heavy user. Uh, mm. Yep. Gotcha. Or, the fans have supersized me. Uh, but for me, it's waking up early. Um, I always have an opening night movie, so okay. like a 7.30 on Tuesday. And then I wake up early on, on Wednesday for a 9 a.m. movie. 9 a.m., noon, 3, 6, 9 p.m., and midnight, if there's midnight. Then if I have midnight, I come in at noon the next day. If I don't have a midnight, I come in at 9 a.m. the next day. Okay. So it's... It's nonstop movies from Wednesday until Sunday night, where the last one's nine o'clock. So, gotcha. Yeah. Now, having known just a little bit about this, there are multiple theaters in the town that are showing movies. How far apart are the like the theaters from each other, and is there a long period of time that it takes to for you to get from one place to the other? Uh. The most of them, the the main one is called the State Theater, right in Front Street. There, down about two three blocks is uh, City Opera House. There's also one called Bijou by the Bay, which is this tiny little theater that's you know a couple blocks down towards the beach. There used to be one called Old Town Playhouse. That's yeah four or five blocks down from um, Old Town Playhouse. There's another one called, it was Lars Hockstead. Now it's the Kubrick Theater at Central Grade School. They mm -hmm. like convert the auditorium, the the theater into a movie theater. That's cool. Um, that one's kind of, that's about half a mile from the state. You know, so I, I can walk there. And then there's Milliken and Central High School, which are a mile or two down the peninsula. So you have to actually get on a bus, jump on the bus, drive all the way over to them. You know, and then get to it. And the traffic in downtown Traverse City is terrible. So, gotcha. So, to get from like the state to the Bijou or the state to City Opera House, 
five minutes, not not too long. But to get out to Milliken, it's like twenty to half an hour drive. Oh wow! Okay, it's it, it's getting to a bus, getting on the bus, getting all the way over to the Milliken, getting off, and it's just it's kind of a mess. And going from the Kubrick, which is the farthest one, to Central High School is upwards of forty five minutes. So it's, that sounds ridiculous. Yeah, just a little bit. It's. And I had one where I went from Millican to State, Millican then to Kubrick, and then back to the state. Uh, so I had a lot of travel this year. Wow. Of the fact that if it's a two-hour movie, you have an hour to get to the next show. It's not assigned seating, so you have to get in, get into a line. So they let lines in half an hour before, and it it's a lot to handle. So back-to-back movies, a whole lot of people skip, and they'll go and get food or something instead. So. Gotcha. Yeah. So you mentioned this this is your 15th year doing this. Mm-hmm. Is it just you? Do you go with family? I've always gone with my dad. Uh, the first year I went with my aunt and uncle who knew that I was in a film and they just chose three random movies. They're A Good Woman, The Talent Given Us, and Italian for Beginners. Okay. Those are my first three that I ever saw at the festival. Uh, I absolutely loved the festival. I thought it was really cool. It was really early. All their times was off, were off. There was Michael Moorhead's hates America film festival there too. And it was just this kind of real mess of a year, but the anti Michael Moore film festival just tanked. Hmm. Uh, Michael Moore is one of the founders of the film festival, the okay. Traverse City film festival. And the second year they started getting everything right. Uh, we ended up going to, I think eight movies the second year, including Borat and air Tarnation, that I still talk about all the time. Right. Um, but that was the second year uh, my dad came with me, and the two of us had a lot of fun. Really enjoyed it. Uh, a couple of years later, my friend Laura came with us, and Laura and I saw 20-plus movies. Uh, I've had a couple of other friends. My friend Kirsten also goes up there and then sees movies once in a while and so on. But, yeah, for the most part, it's been my dad and I seeing tons of movies. Now, I know in the past you've also helped sponsor some films. Mm-hmm. Did you do that this year? Mm-hmm. Which form did you end up helping to sponsor? Again, my family, dad, uncle, and so on, sponsor movies. And this year we sponsored uh, Framing John DeLorean. I didn't get to see our screening of it because I already had tickets to a different show at that time. But I did see Framing John DeLorean, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Because it's on one of my two either favorite of the festival or least favorite of the festival. So Okay. Yeah. It's a weird narrative, but not narrative, but not really a documentary, but it looks like a documentary. Okay. So yeah, that's a weird movie. But yeah, usually the movies we sponsor aren't don't end up being the favorite of the festival. So okay. It's fair. It's fair. So going off of that, what were your big expectations this year for the festival? You mean like movies or just what I was expecting to see? Um, let's go with like just in general what you were expecting from the festival this year. And then let's go into the movies that you were expecting. Like your big like hopes for the, the okay. festival involving film. Uh, I was expecting to just see a bunch of movies I wanted like I liked. Um, this year, particularly with doing all the podcast stuff, I was actually doing reviews both for my cosplay page and for um, In the Can. And if you're really curious now what all my kind of quick thoughts on the movies were, I actually put little like 
two or three paragraph reviews of every movie between each movie while it was like fresh in my head. A lot of my opinions on the movies have actually changed slightly after other movies and after a week of not being up there. But uh, I was expecting to like most of the movies like I usually do. Um, I was expecting like two or three that I just couldn't stand. And surprisingly, I think there are literally two that I don't like. Okay. I like all the rest in various ways. And like the big movies I was expecting to just automatically love were the midnight movies. Mm -hmm. Weird horror movie type things. And some of the more thrillery ones. Okay. So Purity of Vengeance and Peanut Butter Falcon, just because of the name and villains, Long Day's Journey into Night and so on. Uh, whether they actually did that and like were good, uh, not really. <laughs> some of them were, but most of the thrillers this year were my least favorite of the festival, which is kind of weird. Okay. So, but... So it kind of broke from the norm then for you. Yeah. It was very hard to guess what I'd like. Like, my least favorite is going to be in my top five. The mm. one that I thought would be my least liked movie is in my top five of this festival. Okay. And for a little bit there, it was my number one. And it that was weird because I am not at all the target demographic for that movie. So Well, I think that it's probably something that you have to look forward to when you can go to something like this and actually be completely surprised by the fact that what you didn't expect to be one of your favorites actually ends up being one of your favorites. Yeah. And that kind of comes with me knowing that there's the criteria to get into the festival is really high. So while I would usually just write off a movie of like, nah, it's not going to be good here. You actually have to think, well, why would it be in the festival if it wasn't good? Okay. That's kind of how I've decided to just go into choosing movies. And I've, there's a bunch of movies I didn't get to see this year that I really want to see, like Extraordinary and so on. But uh, there's a bunch that I've heard throughout the festival from other patrons because I, I do talk to mostly other sponsors and like, what do you like? What have you seen? That kind of thing. But it's definitely one that this year I feel like I talked with a lot of people compared to previous years. Okay. Well, I mean, it sounds like it's a really cool experience, something that I think if anybody gets the opportunity to go, they should yeah. definitely try to do that at some point. Yeah, if you can, if you're interested in movies and you're interested in like seeing ones that you wouldn't normally see, Travis City Film Festival is great. The Ann Arbor Film Festival is pretty damn good. Uh, I believe Detroit and uh, Toronto and a few other cities have some, Dayton, I think, has one. Okay. They have some pretty good film festivals. Check them out. Go to a couple if you like the movies, if they're what you think are good. Try going next year. Try going to a different film festival and so on. So. Very cool. Um, yeah. So based on that, since your expectations were all so, over the place, all over the place, and uh, in some cases they were exceeded, in some cases they were kind of a letdown. Yeah. Uh, what were, would you say, are the movies that you were were your biggest upsets? My biggest upsets? Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> my number two, the movie I was looking forward to the most going into the festival was mm -hmm. the movie called Villains. It was good. You know, not one of my favorites, but it was good. Was this one of the Midnights? Yeah, that was one of the Midnights. Okay. Um, my number two most anticipated movie was a movie called Long Day's Journey Into Night. Okay. And yeah, so the idea of Long Day's Journey into Night, 
And it's the one that is hands down my least favorite of the festival this year. Okay. It went from number two to number 26. Wow. Um, easily the biggest change out of all of them. Um, it's a detective. Bear with me. I, I'm trying to remember the storyline. Uh, it's a two and a half hour long movie, and I was wide awake through all of it, but I feel like I fell asleep. <laughs> if that tells you some of the, the okay, story. So it's like you problems. zoned out, basically. No, it, I remember all of it. It's just... I feel like there's large chunks of this two and a half hour movie that we're missing. Okay. okay. This is the one that had the hour long unbroken shot for its final shot. Okay. Okay. That was great. But let's get into that. Um, this final shot is in 3D for some reason. It's the only part of the movie that's in 3D. He goes into a, a theater, puts on 3D glasses and falls asleep. Okay, cool. And then he wakes up in a cave in the dark with a lantern for some reason, wanders around the cave, runs into a little boy that challenges him in ping pong. Then they he wins in a very, very easy game of ping pong. Then he rides a moped out of the mountain, ends up on a like a sling that then takes him down the mountain slowly. All in the same shot, mind you. So that, that's where this is impressive. He then ends in a city, starts talking to someone. Uh, plays pool with them for some reason, and then decides, oh, I can spin this ping pong paddle and we can fly. Oh, okay, that's weird. Spins the ping pong paddle. The camera then randomly flies around this this little town, lands in the town, and they pop out of one of the buildings. All the same shot still. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And then they walk through. The one girl. The girl wanders off. The guy ends up finding. A character that I guess is his mother. Okay. Um, somewhere in here, there's a horse that gets scared, covered in apples. He grabs an apple and proceeds to eat the entire apple, including the core. That'll come back because that's a thing in this movie. And he ends up eating the entire apple. Then the girl and him end up kissing in a house that spins around them. Then the camera backs out of the house and then a sparkler goes off. And that was all in one shot. And it was a phenomenal shot. It was vastly underlit. So the camera operation's great. Camera was amazing. It sure was dark. <laughs> Everything was underlit. It was like the, the gaffer, the person in charge of the lightings, just kind of fell asleep in the movie, which wouldn't surprise me because the rest of the movie was underlit as well. But yeah, this entire final hour, the the camera work was unbelievably impressive everything else about this the scene made no sense and throughout the movie he's like trying to find a woman that disappeared from his hometown 20 years ago or something and keeps going up and like talking to various people saying you look like this person and they're like no i'm not but the thing is it's played by the same actress every time and i'm like uh wait what and then runs into you look like someone i know oh okay Turns out that's his mother for some reason. Okay, sure. And that's just kind of how like this entire movie was. is like nonsensical random scenes. And there's a scene with a kid who's no more than like 13, 14, staring into the camera, eating an apple and slowly crying. Yep, he again eats the entire apple, including the core and the seeds and everything. And then it cuts to the next scene. It's just maybe I missed a vast part of this movie, but it had no point. 
Okay, so that is an odd description of a movie, not going to lie. Yeah, and I wanted it to be good, but it just wasn't. <laughs> it, it almost makes me feel like maybe the main character was suffering some from some form of like amnesia, especially when he goes up to the person who's supposed to be his mom and goes, you look familiar. Yeah, oh, why aren't I'm you coming with me? And then he pulls a gun out on her and then pulls a gun out of the guy driving the driving the truck and then steals her watch and they drive off. And then he gives the watch to the new girlfriend. It's like, what? But wow. I don't know. There's just so many random, weird, weird things happening in this movie that even when I'm trying to remember the story and I this is one where my friend showed up and she's like or my friend was at the same thing and she's like. Oh yeah, this character was this character. It might have been the mom, and I'm like, what? The okay, and I don't know. It was just it had such awesome visuals, and like the camera work was phenomenal. But I couldn't tell because it was underlit, even the part that's not 3D. So okay, I, like they had a really cool shot of inside of a car, and the the camera was kind of panning around inside the car as he's like following someone walking down a tunnel and then the camera just slips out the side of the side of the car and follows the two of them in a different angle like that was awesome hmm. i don't know how they did that it had to be steady cam or something but right i can't tell how so interesting but yeah that's that's like hands down my least favorite it it was one that i was really looking forward to i thought it looked amazing but thought it looked like a film noir and then it just was like any intrigue just disappeared hmm. so okay but props to the camera operators <laughs> fair enough uh what would you say is the next like big disappointment big disappointment would be purity of vengeance uh the one that this is one that i was expecting to really like okay and it's from the department q series same with uh absent one conspiracy of faith and keeper of lost causes okay and I, the main characters, Carl and Assad, they were great. They were fine. They, yeah. But I predicted the ending about halfway through the movie. Mm. I predicted the big twist halfway through the movie um, to the point where I told my dad, like, this is going to be the twist. And when it came up, he's like, oh, you got it right. And the fact is, when you're, when you have like a detective movie and you can predict the ending, kind of defeats the purpose. Yeah. And, it, it didn't feel like there was as much tense, like in tension and intensity compared okay. to the other movies. Like I never really cared much about the villain in this movie. Okay. Especially when you realize who the villain is, it's like, Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> and it's, but the overall storyline of the girl interrupted type reformation thing okay. that we're taking undesirables like people that had abortions and that kind of thing and sterilizing them oh wow okay i thought was a pretty cool backstory but then they they kind of then just kept going with that for too long like they didn't have an interesting villain attached to it or an interesting storyline so okay so they relied too much on one element to try to carry yeah they that didn't have enough follow-through yeah, like, ultimately, the villain they were all hunting for just wasn't the villain. And it was this other person that sat down through most of the final act. And it's just not a... It wasn't an interesting ending. So. Okay. But, again, I liked Assad and I liked Carl. I liked the two main characters, so. That's fair. Yeah. 
it's one that I'll rewatch when I when I am able to buy it. But eh, it's just okay. Okay. Um, any others that were like at bottom of the list? Or? Uh, well, one that was like my number two least anticipated and ended up being my number two least least liked is Troop Zero. Okay. Uh, McKenna Gray's Viola Davis, uh, the the one about the the kids trying to trying to become like birdie scouts, which are okay, yeah. equivalent of like brownies or boy scouts. Okay. Like Cub Scouts level for boys, but they're trying to get on the golden record that shot out into NASA or out into space by NASA. Okay. It was fine. It, it was like thoroughly just okay. Hmm. And it's my least liked. I say it's just okay, which means all the rest of my movies I liked. Okay. Okay. Uh, even like Purity of Vengeance, I genuinely really liked. It's just, it wasn't as... It was kind of like a letdown compared to what yeah. you had expected. But if I compare it to like other detective films, it's better than them. It's just not great. Troop Zero, I didn't like any of the characters. I like McKenna Grace, but all of the other girls in the troop, so Hell No, Smash, the Jesus Freak with One Eye, and the boy, the boy who's gay and wants to be a girl, uh, the four of them were like cliches. Viola okay. Davis was just Viola Davis having fun. Um, oh, the the woman who's in West Wing who plays like the the uh, you'd recognize her, but the, the the woman who's in West Wing who plays like the um, chief of staff type. Okay. She was she was um, the rival scoutmaster, rival den mother, and her and Viola Davis were just having fun. But the rest of the movie, I just didn't care. Fair. Like all the 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 bitchiness between the different troops, and yeah, it was just kind of one of those that at the end of it, I'm like, I'm not sure why this made the festival, but I mean, it's better than most that are at this level, so whatever. Okay, uh, so just kind of overall, just lackluster. Yeah, just wasn't great. Uh, then. My number three least liked was Framing John DeLorean. Okay. The one that we sponsored. Okay. Uh, the problem with the movie is that they say it's a documentary. <clears throat> okay. But the first thing you see is there are parts of this movie that are fabricated. So to me, that means it's not, not a documentary, but it sure as hell plays like one. And I'll tell you, I don't care at all about cars. <laughs> Uh, and the the only thing I know about John DeLorean, this is the guy who made the DeLorean car and DeLorean Motor Company, right? is that he used to work for, I believe, GM. He was a great engineer or designer or whatever. And then he made his own company and then bombed and then sold drugs and got caught by the, the cop, by DEA. Okay. Well, framing John DeLorean starts as all of this stuff about like him making the cars then goes into randomly Alec Baldwin playing John DeLorean for a movie that is actually just reenactments for a documentary. So, okay. Sure, Alec Baldwin. And then the second half of the movie is about his framing of the drug deal. Okay. So, eh. It's just one that I, I left not caring about John DeLorean. <laughs> And 
if you can't get me to care about like your topic, I just don't care. Yeah. It sounds like it wanted to do one thing and ended up doing something completely other midstream. I feel like about halfway through, it kind of pivoted away from like telling the actual story of John Dorian <clears throat> to almost like a conspiracy theory. This is what actually happened in the background. Because gotcha. like for the second half of the thing, the second half of the movie, it was all how John DeLorean was being tricked into selling drugs. And it was actually that it was a sting operation, but they never explained why the, why the government was doing this against him. And so it just kind of came off as like the government just wanted, was out to get him. And I don't know. Okay. It was as someone who doesn't really care much about cars, doesn't care about, you know, John DeLorean. I, I think DeLorean looks cool, but it's just because of back to the future. Right. So, Okay, that's I mean that's fair. Like that seems like it's well, it's unfortunate that it didn't pan out the way it was framed for everybody. Yeah, you know, it it might appeal to some people who are just kind of like interested in a movie that might be slightly interesting or are really into cars, I guess. Yeah. Maybe people who are really into conspiracy theories, maybe. Yeah. Like my uncle worked for GM for the longest time. I believe it was GM. Okay. Um, he was really interested in in that. And they actually had like a bunch of people that worked with DeLorean at the screening. So okay, so that was cool. But I didn't stick around because I'm like, well, I have to get across town to get somewhere else. So. But okay. a lot of the, the Q&As I skipped this year because it's like, I have other places to be and you have a two hour movie. Um, I, I have like 10 minutes to get to the next showing. So let me, I'm good. Let's go. Great. But yeah, framing John DeLorean was, was fine. It, it wasn't anything super impressive. Okay. So, okay. Then my fifth, my like bottom number five, uh, was the midnight movie, greener grass, greener. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Of the three Midnight movies, The Wretched, Villains, and Greener Grass, this one was the one with hands down the least amount of storyline, but hands down the most amount of drugs uh, ingested while making the movie. Uh, it's a it's a Stepford Wives meets, like, it's Stepford Wives if it was, like, set in Willy Wonka color, like, pastels. Weird, Okay. And everyone has braces. There's just stuff happens for no reason. Beck Bennett's character is addicted to drinking the oxygenated pool water. Okay. <laughs> okay. A, a young kid named Julian dives into the pool and then comes out as a dog and everyone just kind of rolls with it. And like now Beck Bennett, who's like thought his kid was just annoying. is now like, oh, it's a dog. He's the best boy ever. But now that I'm thinking about it, like the kid didn't know how to play piano, so just slammed his hands against the piano and uh, used to, like, when you hit him with the Frisbee, he'd just whine and whine and run away, and like, now that I'm thinking about it, maybe he was a dog the entire time, but I don't know, another character who's one of the one of the two directors gives birth to a soccer ball, but it's just that she sees the soccer ball, puts it under her dress, and someone's like, hey, you're pregnant. Oh, I'm pregnant. It's like, okay. And then she has a soccer ball that she names Twilson because Wilson's Tom Hanks kid. And it's like, <laughs> what? And the first scene, like the way they start this movie, 
is two people at a soccer game and the the one the main woman is holding her baby and the one that will eventually go on to having a soccer ball says i love your baby oh you do would you like him okay and then hands over the baby and for the rest of the movie that's just the other character's baby and it's just like what <laughs> so it, oh, it that just is weird it's such a weird and like the production design's amazing the cinematography's amazing but story is just all over the place and the director was there one of the two directors who plays the main character and explains some of it and I'm like oh okay so it's it's like yes and the movie okay okay sure but I don't know it was just she goes and gets her hair cut and then starts bleeding out of her hair and then just the next scene she's fine it's like what <laughs> so okay know, it was just one of those that it's a midnight movie. It's about what I expected. Didn't just know what the really weird then. Just yeah, it's someone was on drugs and someone decided, <laughs> yeah, let's have fun with this. So yeah, I enjoyed it. It was just kind of. It was after a really long day, so I think it was six. That was my sixth movie of the day, and I'm like, I'm good. I can go to sleep. So I think I was just tired. I'll I'll check it out eventually. Fair, fair. All right. So we've gone through your bottoms. Bottoms. So I have a pile of the mid-tier movies that you saw. 16 or so mid-tier. Right. <laughs> and I shuffled them up before we started recording. And I just pulled one off the pile here that will, I guess you can go over and tell me what you thought of it. Right. And it just so happens to be Top End Wedding. Top End Wedding. All right. Uh, Top End Wedding is an Australian film. Um, ultimately, the story is about a newly engaged couple that go to the top end of Australia to get married in the bride-to-be's like, original hometown. Okay. She gets there and finds out that her mom left her husband, or her left her father, and the father is now like... Listening to that song that plays on the jukebox in uh, Shaun of the Dead, the If You Leave Me Now, and all that when it's on random. Mm-hmm. He goes into the um, the closet and just turns it on. It's actually a really funny little moment. But, but yeah, they end up going into the Tiwi Islands to find the mother up in the, the okay. very top end of Australia. And it was just a – it's one of those that's in the middle because it's, it's not particularly amazing. It is a lot more heartfelt than I thought it would be. Okay. Um, but it's one of those that, at the end of the day, I'm probably going to forget which one this is. That makes <laughs> sense. There's going to be a yeah. lot of those that kind of blend together, especially since there's three wedding movies this year. Right. But, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed this. The The two main actors, um, I don't know any actors' names. There's very few actors' names that I'll recognize this year. But the main two were great. Uh, I actually really enjoyed the the main female's boss that they brought in who becomes like the, the totalitarian like <laughs> leader of all the bridesmaids. Like we're doing this, 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 you go get the cake, you get the decorations, you do this, you do this, you do this. We need it on time. And I actually really liked her interactions with the father. Like, cause you then realize that why the father is sad and like you understand you start understanding all the characters, which is okay. what sets these movies apart from like Hollywood. So you actually get depth to even the small characters. Okay. Like 
the uh, one of the sisters or the cousin that was one of the bridesmaids, you actually get some pretty good depth to her. Hmm. And then, of course, the the bride and the groom, just their little road trip they go on is just really fun and really twist a lot of twists, really messed up little characters. But it was a lot of fun. And I think ultimately it's one of my favorite comedies that I saw this year. So that's cool. That's yeah. cool. Um, so the next one that I pulled uh, looks to be like it's your opening night movie. Uh, Brittany runs a marathon. Oh, I wish I saw this later in the year. I honestly wish I saw this like the final day. Okay. Being the first movie, this and a movie called Silent Revolution immediately got knocked down by everything else that came after it. Like, they're the first ones to the party, then everyone else charged through the door. Gotcha. But Brittany Runs a Marathon is one of the is one of those movies that should be higher, to be perfectly honest. Um, Jillian Bell, who's actually the main character in or one of the main characters in Sort of Trust. Okay. Uh, she plays Brittany, who's slightly overweight, considered obese in the movie, but is overweight, um, lazy and you know, doesn't go out of her house, stays at home, you know, all that kind of stuff. Right. So, but decides one day, screw it, I'm going outside. She goes to the doctor. Doctor says, lose some weight. Says, screw it, I'm going outside. I'm going to just run a block. Goes out, runs half a block and faints. <laughs> you get the idea. Right. Uh, it has a very sardonic humor, and I absolutely loved it. She ends up pushing through and continually running and meets up with her downstairs neighbor who coincidentally plays her wife in sort of trust. <laughs> okay. The same two, like basically unknown actors or actresses. And they're a couple in one. And then they like kind of hate each other at the beginning, but become friends in this. Uh, but she ends up getting a job work, like working as a house sitter for rich people. Okay. And she ends up meeting a guy that is now living in the house that she's house sitting. That's like the night house sitter. <laughs> so he's just living there and, of course, they spy a couple of romance, of course, but you know, the just the movie has this really uplifting. There's no villains, there's no antagonists, just it's a just a really well-written movie. Okay. Uh, it was one of the darlings that I believe can or Tribeca or one of those. And um it was uh actually Sundance. That's that's where it was. It was one of the darlings of Sundance. And it was actually bought for 14 million dollars. Almost three times the actual budget of the movie. Wow. Because it was a $5 million movie. It was bought for $14 million by Amazon to have an actual theatrical release. So awesome. That's cool. Because if you get a chance, go see this movie. Because okay. I'm not doing it justice for just how uplifting and fun this movie is. Because she has, does end up running the bus, not the uh, New York Marathon. Okay. So that's pretty cool. But yeah. I, I really enjoyed it. I like the two that played the running friends. Uh, I don't remember Michaela something, Michaela Watson or Watkins or something like that. Okay. And then the, the guy who plays the the gay friend that she makes when she like starts in the running group. And that's another thing. A whole lot of uh, LGBT representation this year. Very just cool. awesome. So that's very cool. But yeah, cool. I, I really enjoyed Britney Runs a Marathon. So All right. Yeah. So uh, I think we'll do one more here real quick. All right. Uh, from the middle of the stack. And uh, Balloon. All right. Uh, I'm actually going to talk about Balloon and Silent Revolution right now. Okay. <laughs> because they are both set in Eastern Germany. Okay. 
Uh, balloon is set more in the country in the 70s. I believe it was 70s. Yeah, 70s. Silent Revolution is set in uh, Len like Stalin something, like Stalinstad or something like that. Not Stalingrad, not Leningrad, but but it's still in East Germany. And in the 50s, before there was a Berlin Wall. So Silent Revolution, a bunch, bunch of kids that decide to have a, a moment of silence for the Hungarian Revolution, not understanding that those are enemies of the East Berlin. Gotcha. Because they were listening to West Berlin radio. Okay. And touted them as heroes. So they have a moment of silence. Then immediately the, the teacher freaks out. They go to the principal who freaks out. They go to the, and ultimately like the head of education for the Soviet run communist side of East Germany shows up and starts grilling all of these kids to try to figure out who the ringleaders were <laughs> and like using Stasi and, uh, Gestapo tactics to get them to talk. Wow. Yeah, it was, it's, I wish, again, I wish I saw it later. So I, it didn't get hit by everything else, but it was such a well done tense movie between the people and the, the boys and girls in the class and like the one that they were worried was going to be like upstanding German soldier. But then he finds out that his father was a traitor mm. and that's something that's brought up and he kills himself. And it's just this like really dark dour movie, but it's so well done. Balloon, on the other hand, is a single family. Uh, actually, a couple of families, mostly that are making a hot air balloon to get up over the border into West Germany. OK, I know it it sounded really stupid when I was like, it was one of those that I'm like, this just sounds kind of dumb. Like, you're going to take a hot air balloon in the middle of the night. It's not going to be like a giant beacon. Right. And it kind of is. <laughs> and they're like, we should have made it out of darker material. I'm like, yeah, a little bit. But <laughs> um, it just like Silent Revolution, this one is super tense. Uh, they're they're like trying they try and fail in the first 10 minutes of the movie okay so the next one is them trying to figure out how to do it again but they have to have like all the conditions met and one gets drafted into the army so they have to do it before he goes into the army oh wow and oh god is it good um it's actually the background of my phone right now yeah nice because they actually light the balloon on fire while they're going up because they, they're trying to get up as fast as possible and they light it the burner too fast and it lights part of the balloon on fire. Yeah. Mm. It's it's intense and it's extremely well done. Uh the guy who plays Baron Strucker, I believe, in Marvel. Okay. Uh the guy who makes um makes Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. Mm-hmm. He's the kind of the adversary that's trying to find them. I like the fact that he he's always like one step behind, so it's more about them trying to to stay ahead, though instead of like him threatening them. I gotcha, that was pretty cool. But yeah, balloon was just really well done, really tense. And, that seems like a little bit different of a dichotomy than normal for the chase. You know, where it's uh, like a cat and mouse game, but the cat and mouse never see each other. Okay, yeah, they, they're never aware that he's there, and he's he only finds them right when they are leaving the house. So he shows up at the house after they've already left. So right. they never interact face to face, but it's that constant threat. Gotcha. That they know is coming, but they don't know when you know is coming and you know when. 
So it's kind of like always seeing the shadow of the monster, but never seeing the monster. Yeah, pretty much. Gotcha. Gotcha. Or you see the what the monster can do, but you don't quite see that monster. So, right. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. All right, so let's move on to your biggest surprises of the festival. My biggest surprises? Okay, well, <laughs> I can't say... My least anticipated movie of the entire festival going into it is a movie called St. Francis. Okay. It was the movie about a nanny who gets an abortion and then befriends a young kid that she's now nannying for. Okay. That sounds just bad Lifetime movie or something, like Lifetime movie that they wouldn't touch. But that is St. Francis, and it is my number four of the entire festival. I mean, it sounds like it's... uh alternate version of kind of like a St. Vincent type movie. The movie that's St. Vincent, that's, we'll get to that. There's a movie that is very much St. Vincent, but it's my number three. Okay. Um, this one was more, this is the one where I'm not the target demographic at all. Okay. Like, this is a movie for women by women, the male director, which is weird, but the main character uh, gets pregnant, starts nannying for this kid, or for, starts nannying for a biracial lesbian couple who just had a intravenous child. Okay. And also has like a six-year-old child named Francis or Franny. So the main character then has an abortion and is bleeding from very awkward place for the rest of the movie. The big scene in this movie was all the scenes between the main character and Francis because Franny is this like kind of pissed off little child that, you know, like acts out and all this. And the fact that the main character just doesn't take her crap and kind of doesn't let Francis do what she wants. Francis starts liking her. And then like the, the, the lesbian couple start having and having issues between each other and she starts relating with one of the two and is like, are you okay? The one that ultimately has the baby is like, are you okay? And she's suffering from postpartum depression and the other wife can't quite handle it and is always working. And it's just this, there's like a bunch of different storylines that are all kind of depressing, but you never really feel depressed. Like the, you feel bad for the, the mother going through postpartum depression and the fact that she always has to deal with the baby and that's when the nanny starts taking over duties with the baby and the baby likes the nanny but doesn't like the actual mother and near the end you get an amazing scene between young Frances going to her first her first grade first day of first grade and being dropped off by the nanny who at this point since it's the first day she no longer has a job with them gotcha and she leaves and then Frances of course Franny breaks out and runs after the nanny saying, when I become old enough, I'm going to talk about my period with you and that kind of thing. <laughs> and then, of course, the nanny's like, well, that's going to be a while, but all right. <laughs> and because like all the way through the movie, the there's a whole bunch of kind of issues that pop up that as a male, I don't have any clue what some of these are. Right. Like, but yeah, it's it's just one of those movies that. I have no idea how it ended up being as good as it, it was. It was just 
absolutely phenomenal. And so lots of moments of like just understanding, like if you just take a second to like listen and realize what's going on. Yeah. Like the 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 working mother, uh ultimately the black woman who's the mother, uh comes home after that scene at the park with the birth mother and the nanny and immediately thinks because they're both dressed up nice and all this. I think that same day they went to see like fireworks or something as well. Mm. And they immediately think, are you having an affair? And the mother's like, I don't, or the birth mother's like, I don't, I don't have time for this. I have to put the baby down. And the other mother asks the nanny, like, are you having an affair? No, we, we just went this. And then the, the other mother just breaks down because she's just not sure how to relate to her wife anymore. Gotcha. And the nanny, I keep, I should actually find out what her name was in the movie, but the nanny, like, that whole scene, that di- the dichotomy between the two has always kind of been tense. Okay. Because, like, new woman with my wife and all that. But then the fact that the new, that the nanny has no interest in in the wife, right. know, either, either woman in any way, it just breaks down and admits that he, she has no idea, but she wants to help. She just has no idea how and all that kind of stuff. It's just that level of emotion and like sympathy that you don't get from other movies. And that's where this movie just stood head over heels above almost every other movie, even that I saw at the film festival. It's just, it was unbelievable how a movie about topics that I would never think to watch were just amazing. That's cool. Yeah. But yeah, that's St. Francis. Okay. Um, did you have any other like big surprises in your top five or, uh, another one that I wasn't, I didn't know how to, how, what this movie was. Cause I could only find like a small clip from it and couldn't find a, any trailers or anything. I could barely understand what the description was supposed to be. It was a movie called driveways. Okay. Yeah. You had mentioned this is the, yeah, this is very much the, um, the St. Vincent like one. Okay. Uh, it stars, um, I, again, I wish I knew all these actors' names off the top of my head, but it stars two Asian actors. One is about a 10-year-old boy, and the other one's, you know, probably a 30-year-old woman. Uh, the 30-year-old woman's been on Treme and a bunch of these other shows, and but this is her first, like, big, big-ish movie role. Okay. But the two of them are driving out of Michigan, which is kind of funny, into <laughs> Illinois, to clean out the house of her sister. Okay. Their mother or uh, mother and son. Okay. They get there and it just found that the, the sister was an absolute hoarder. Just the, the sister just died and left this like just house full of junk, including a dead cat upstairs, which is kind of depressing. Weird. Okay. But yeah, she was just hoarder, absolute mess and all this. So for like the first 10 minutes is them trying to figure out how the hell do we clean this. And the kid's kind of quiet, likes playing on his, on his tablet, doesn't really like talking with people. And she's a little bit nicer. Anyway, Brian Dennehy plays the next door neighbor who is a Vietnam vet, older, uh, kind of cantankerous, but kind of a nice guy at the same time. Okay. Kind of like... I don't really want to talk to you, but I can talk to you kind of thing. But he's lives next door. He's, you know, he kind of was a friend of the, the sister. He's ultimately the one that called the ambulance for the sister. Okay. Um, but 
he and the young boy end up becoming friends over the course of the movie. And it's like the boy ends up hanging out with the, the old man next door more so because he like just he doesn't want to be seen hanging out with his mom. So he hangs out with the guy next door and the, the kids in the in the subdivision, the two living next door, are like little little brats that want to wrestle with them. And he's like, no, no, I'm good. <laughs> you know, and that kind of thing. Right. This kid's really nice. And I really, really, really like this young actor. Um, I hope that he has a good career in front of him because he was great. Same with the same with the girl that played Francis in St. Francis. The two of them are like my competing child actors this year. Okay. For second place. <laughs> okay. Yeah, because my number two has a child actor that blows both of them out of the water. Okay. Yeah, we'll get to that because I was expecting that to be good, so it's not exactly a surprise. But but driveways, yeah, it's just it's like it's very much like Grand Torino, that kind of befriending the curmudgeonly old guy next door. You don't get the tension of Grand Torino. There's not the violence. The the bully kids next door try to punk him by firing off fireworks in his front lawn, but they end up freaking themselves out and breaking an arm. So like instant karma, and then they're like, "We're sorry." Then <laughs> there's a couple other kids in the in the uh, subdivision that's like, "Have you ever read manga?" What? No. And then he reads manga for some of the movie, and I don't know. It's just this really feel good little little film, and okay. it's one that. At the end of the day, like, I just thought it was great. And it was my number one for quite a while, actually. Okay. Sounds cool. Yeah. Sounds like one I probably want to definitely check out. Yeah. Uh, Good luck finding it. It's super low budget. I mean, it's it's like $1 million, $2 million movie. Uh, They don't have any distribution yet. But if you can, try to find it. Okay. It's called Driveways. Uh. Before I get into the two that I thought would be in my top five and are in my top five, I have to mention Guest Artist, which ended up being my favorite of the festival. Pretty hands down, too, which is amazing for what it is. All right, so Guest Artist stars Jeff Daniels and a young guy named Thomas Masias, who's never been in a movie before and works for the Purple Rose Theater in Chelsea. Okay. uh, Which is owned by Jeff Daniels. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, other than that, there's a guy named Richard McWilliams, who's also never been in a movie, but he plays a ticket taker that I will never mention in this <laughs> review, but he is there. <laughs> that is the entire cast. Oh, boy. Okay. Except for like one or two extraneous characters here and there. But Jeff Daniels is a aging playwright. Think uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber without the music. Okay. He is world renowned. He's like a famous playwright. And... Name is Joseph Harris, and he wrote a bunch of these really, really well-received, great, great little one-act plays and one-room plays and that kind of stuff. But he hasn't written anything for 10 years. Okay. Or so. so anyway, he is he is contacted by a small upstate new upstate Michigan theater, says, Hey, we need a a script and he's like oh yeah i have a script blah 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 and so he gets on the train and heads over and he's supposed to be picked up by uh by thomas Masias. thomas masius's character uh kenneth so kenneth shows up late and this is like now two thirty three in the morning so immediately jeff daniels goes nope i'm gone you're late i'm gone buy my ticket home 
And uh, Kenneth is, no, 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 no. If I, if I send you home, I get fired and I lose my job at the theater where he is a playwright for the theater. Okay. Like really naive, really like early career has not actually written anything, but is saying he is. And the entire movie takes place in that train station. Interesting. The entire like 70 minutes of that movie takes place between two people bickering about what is better um, theater, film, all that. And then they, they delve into the fact that Masius's character has a script. And he's like, oh, yeah, you can just read my script and tell me what's good or bad. And then I'll buy your ticket. Fine. But alcohol. I can't really do that. No, no, no. You give me alcohol. I'll read your damn script. You buy my ticket. I get out of here. You go back and say that I never showed up. No, I don't know. It's like, kid, do you have any idea who I am? Just give me some damn alcohol. <laughs> so he ends up running out at like three in the morning in Michigan trying to find out where to buy alcohol. Good luck. Yeah. Yeah. He ends up running around town while Jeff Daniels starts reading the script. <laughs> and yeah, it and it's just one of those that he reads the script. And so what'd you think? Hated it. <laughs> Is that it? No, it, I just, you know, how, you know, that time where like you come over and like there's a bunch of people that are sitting there talking and you don't want to talk to them because they're all idiots. Yeah. Yeah. It's like that. But worse. I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> kind of thing. And, he, and like the writing in this movie is just absolutely phenomenal. Like the the characters of Kenneth and uh, Harris, the, the writers, are unbelievable. The dialogue between them is just this quick, rapid fire. So kind of like Aaron Sorkin level, like quick rapid you fire. You can tell that the writer learned from working on Newsroom. Okay. Because it's Jeff Daniels. Oh, okay. Fair. This is based on a play written by Jeff Daniels. Oh, Okay. And yeah, overall, it is it is one of the best movies I've ever seen there. And it is just two guys in a room talking. Now I really want to see this. And again, good luck ever finding it. It was right. made for like $10,000. And it's Jeff Daniels didn't take any pay because he's the writer of this. And right. it's directed by another guy from West Wing. Uh, okay. And Tim Busfield. Timothy Busfield. Okay. And yeah, it was just like, I wasn't expecting a whole lot from it. Like I was expecting to enjoy it. I always love uh, Jeff Daniels, but God damn, did this movie start kind of weak. And then once you got them talking, it just ramped up to the point where when you realize why he hasn't written since 2001, most notably a certain day in September, 2001, Mm. that he immediately had an idea for a script that is, we deserved this. And it's this big, long diatribe about why we deserved ultimately 9-11. And then he realized that this is the best thing I ever wrote, and I hate all of it. I hate everything I just wrote. I hate that I had those thoughts. I hate that this is the best thing I will ever write. I have never been able to write since. And when you kind of get to that point, just everything makes sense like you understand why he's an alcoholic you understand why he's depressed why he hasn't been able to write anything since 9-11 it is just unbelievably well done uh, and it's powerful it's dep it's at times depressing it's uplifting just that sounds awesome. everything about this movie and the fact that 
the kid manages to pull him out of that hole and go, you can perform this at our show or at our theater. Nobody's ever going to see it, but we'll perform it for you. Is the, is the way that they convince him to be, to come and to do the, the show. So, but yeah, it is just one of those movies that is so, it's going to be so under the radar that I hope everyone goes sees it. It's phenomenal. Awesome. I mean, like, I'm down. I love Jeff Daniels. So. Yeah. Uh, from there, I'm going to talk about the other one about the kid. Uh, it's called, I thought it was Capernaum, and I've since figured out it's actually the word Capernaum. Okay. <laughs> it's spelled C-A-P-E-R-N-A-U-M. So that's the thing. Capernaum, it means chaos. Okay. So this movie was nominated for an Oscar. It is out available on streaming. But Capernaum is about a young kid named Zane uh, who stabs a guy and then decides to sue his parents. <laughs> because they gave because birth neg- be- Yes, because negligence. Okay, it's this movie. Okay, yeah. I remember we went over this in the pre- Yeah, and I know this got kind of weird reactions and I wasn't sure what to expect, but I thought I'd like it, and I did. I love this movie. Uh, so Zane is this like rabble rousing little child, probably 10, same age as the guy and the kid in, um, driveways. Okay. And he, like he has best or his best friend is a sister named Sahar and Sahar is sold to someone. It's in Lebanon. Okay. So So it's kind of arranged marriages, but she's 12. Okay. Being sold to like a 30 year old. Yeah, I know. It's just as disgusting as it sounds. Okay. He ends up hating the guy that sold to and runs away and runs into Cockroach Man, which is funny. <laughs> an, an old guy dressed in a in a beat up um Spider-Man outfit. Oh, okay. So he's he's changed it to Cockroach Man. But he works at a a like circus uh, carnival. Okay. He ends up befriending a Ethiopian migrant that has a young baby and then kind of falls in with her and then starts taking care of the baby while she goes to work. And then she gets caught by uh, immigration. Now he's taking care of the baby alone. Oh, goodness. And then he doesn't know what to do, so he gives the baby to somebody that is friends of the mother, quote-unquote friends of the mother. And then he ends up going back home, finding out what happened to his sister. And then takes a knife and runs out and stabs the shit out of the guy. <laughs> oh, boy. And then is arrested. And then from there, he decides, this is all my parents' fault. <laughs> when he sees an advertisement for a lawyer saying, do you think you've been wrongfully accused of something? <laughs> or something. <laughs> he ends up suing his parents for birthing him. Because wow. if he wasn't b- born, he would have never stabbed the guy. And if he wasn't born... All the other stuff in his that went bad in his life would have never happened, and wow. ultimately, it's all of the the trial behind the scenes, um, the stuff with the baby that has been sold into slavery, like sold into human trafficking by the guy that was apparently friends of the mother. Yeah, it's just such the the young kid who played Zane. Oh my god! Like I've seen, I've seen better acting from like adults. But this is hands down the best child actor I've ever seen. Wow. And I've seen a lot of movies. <laughs> like, he just knocked this out of the park. 
Oh my god. Like, I remember when you mentioned this a couple weeks ago, and we had gone over the stuff that you were looking forward to, and when you brought this one up, I remember thinking, man, this sounds different and interesting, and I, I'm kind of really compelled to want to see this movie. Yeah, and it's one that I came out of just blown away, especially oh. by the kid. Like, the kid was great. The, the Ethiopian mother was pretty damn good. The baby was a baby, so it didn't, you know, didn't do much. But <laughs> Babies are babies, right? But I I really liked the girl who played Sahar, the sister. Um, And then I really liked, I, I absolutely loved the young, or uh, Zane. I think Zane is one of the best characters this entire year up there with Jeff Daniels. Oh. <laughs> and, um, and Franny from St. Francis. But, yeah, I just... God, Caper- Capernaum was amazing. Hmm. And personally, I wish it won best uh, foreign film over Roma because I wasn't a huge fan of Roma. Yeah, again, that was one that I never got around to seeing. I'll be honest, uh, you either I miss something or you're not missing much. Fair. I mean, it, from everything it sound that I've heard about it and looked into, it just doesn't sound like it'd be my cup of tea. Yeah, it was to me. It was fine. Um, this movie was just. Capernaum was just such a better movie. There's just so much more going on, so much more emotion. And like the scenes of the kid sitting in a room with just the baby trying to figure out how the hell do I get the baby any kind of formula or that kind of stuff. And like the kid going to various places, selling pans, like literally panhandling. And like he starts selling drugs that are like mixed with water in a water bottle because that's how he used to sell other things. And I don't know. It's just one of those that's just very well written, very well made overall. And Interesting. It's not for everyone. It's definitely not for everyone, but it is such a well-made movie. Okay. Yeah. And that leads me to my last of my like top fives. Uh, this is actually my number five. I was expecting it to be a little higher, but I didn't expect anything to really, it's one of my midnight movies, my highest midnight movie. Okay. Wasn't really sure going into it um, how high it would be just because of the fact that it's midnight. They could go either way. But it's called The Wretched. Okay. Uh, I was expecting Villains to be my number one midnight, but Villains was good. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of fell fell apart here and there. Okay. It had little issues that kind of held it back. Whereas Wretched, I'm... I'm amazed by how much I loved Wretched. Uh, it's directed by Drew and Brett Pierce, Pierce okay. brothers that actually went to a school nearby in Troy area, Royal Oak area. Okay. Wretched is about a boy with a, who broke his wrist. Not important to the story, but <laughs> he's walking around with a cast on his wrist, so I think the actor just had a cast. Um, <laughs> except that it plays into a huge twist that I will not spoil. Fair. Because that is one of the most blindsided me twists I've ever had. And I was looking for stuff this year. So, But The Wretched ultimately is about what's called the Night Mother. Okay. Um, it's a Gaelic kind of story about a, a witch that comes alive through dead things and eats forgotten ones. Okay. So the way this works is the witch is a skin changer and literally kills and then burrows inside someone's body. 
Yeah. Oh, there's some disturbing ass visuals in this movie, including one of them. And I'll get to the visuals. Those those are going to be what I end on here. But she burrows into the bodies and then like walks around with them like puppets. And after kind of assimilating, will fully look like, say, the hot neighbor. Gotcha. And instead of dressing all punk, she's going to dress like an actual woman does. Okay. Which is kind of a cool little touch that I didn't realize while I was watching it. But she also is able to mentally, like, mess with people and, like, erase young, like, erase children, and then she eats the children. Okay. Wow. So she does that to the neighbor and mind controls the husband and eats and or deletes and eats the young kids, even though the main character remembers, like, you know, you had a son. And, of course, the husband's like, no, I don't. Get off my property kind of thing. And it's just this really creepy, like, hmm, something's wrong. But the main character ends up befriending, he works at like a marina, ends up befriending a girl who was at the screening, which is awesome, with a young sister who was at the screening, which is awesome. Totally unexpected. (laughs) They just showed up for the screening. Um, But the two of them, the main character and this girl, end up like starting to figure out, oh, that's what's going on, and actually learn some lore about this witch. So he's lining everything with salt and you know, it's this really cool. I like that he actually figures out what's going on with the witch. But the witch spends a lot of the movie like contorting around, like standing in the house, staring out at him. And like the young son of the the character that the witch has taken over comes up and she's like all conjoined and naked standing, staring out the window and then slowly turns her head and like cracks her shoulder into place and and then, like, awkwardly runs out of the room. Just this really creepy, like, mama-level creep factor. But some of the best scenes are, like, her threatening the main character. Like, you are a stupid, stupid boy. That kind of stuff. And, like, okay. standing just outside the... Like, wanting to get the son that freaked out because, you know, she was standing there. But boy came over and is hiding with the main character. And she threatens... I'm going to eat you and everyone in your family and all this kind of stuff. And just like, <laughs> no, you're not. Can't come in here and points down at the salt line. And she like is now like, basically, I will find a way to hurt you. Oh, boy. And it, I don't know. It's just this really, really, really well done horror movie. Some really cool creep, creep factors, very little jump scares, some very well done writing. But what absolutely blew blew me away is this was a low-budget movie, and there was little to no CGI. So when you see her clawing her way out of someone's chest, uh, one of the characters get one of the characters that she's been infesting or in control of uh, gets shot a bunch of times and falls to the ground. Main character and someone else comes out and like looks back, and you see hands like tearing apart the rib cage and like like pulling themselves up out of the body and like you see an overhead shot of the woman still like writhing around while this this thing is like crawling out of her it's like what the hell (laughs) holy crap that seems intense and there's a scene where the main character's father is being attacked and like being choked out but he's like holding her back like holding the wrist and you see like the wrist deflate as he like is grabbing on and also notices the wrist is deflated and her like her hand just 
pierces through her own wrist and the 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 witch's hand grabs him by the face and it's just like oh my god didn't see that coming and like what? that kind of stuff where the act the the character's hand is still around the dad's throat but his hands all of a sudden like restrict down the, the rest of the thing as she pulled the witch pulled her hand out of the almost like the glove and then grabbed him by the face by coming out through the the wrist and it's like Oh my God, some of these little effects just, they're so subtle and God, is that creepy. But I absolutely loved this movie. Complimented with the huge, just holy crap twist that was set up in the first scene of the movie. (laughs) And yes, the cast plays into this. So I'm like, oh, that's why he has a broken arm. (laughs) Got it. But like, there's all this other stuff going on behind the scenes. And like, it's just... Other than a weird jump, like not jump the shark, but just all of a sudden a, car, a character in a car slams into something. It's just one of the best, like most tautly written horror movies that I've watched at least all year. And I've watched a crap ton of horror movies this year. Yeah, you have. Like all the Friday the 13th and all the Final Destinations and Scream and all those. This is easily my favorite. This is up there with It Follows for my favorite horror movie. Nice. So, but yeah, that The Wretched was just great. Uh, the directors are actually working on a Predator meets Werewolf film coming to come out sometime next year. Interesting. So, yeah, that, that sounds awesome. I'm totally down. I want to see this movie. Yeah, it's but. it's one of those that I absolutely love the movie. I love the the characters are actually really deep and really really well written. Okay. Whereas most horror movies, you get kind of the dumb like, oh my god, let's go into the woods and have sex. <sighs> I hate that. Story. And I like that they like joke about that. Right. And they don't like go scream like, oh yeah, if we go in the, the woods, we have sex. It's like, no, they they say like, yeah, we're not doing that kind of thing. So, but I really did enjoy The Wretched. And while it won't be my highest, it won't be up there with like Let the Right One In and Host and Chaser and a bunch of these movies that I consistently recommend. Uh, it is a damn good movie. And if it ever gets a, a release in theaters, I'm definitely going again. So nice. It's one of those movies that I want to see from the beginning up to the twist and see if it still holds up as well as it. Okay. So, but yeah, I absolutely loved it. Sounds good. I'm totally down for it. Yeah. All right. Well, so that's pretty much our quick wrap up for uh, what the film festival was this year. Uh, any other big ones that you want to like bring up at all? Uh, I'll, I'll bring up a few here. I talked about Silent Revolution already. Um, one of the big ones I want to mention is Arctic, starring Mads Mikkelsen. Okay. Um, the whole movie is an hour and a half of Mads Mikkelsen slowly dying in the Arctic. Uh, he is, I believe that he was like a rescue plane drop pilot okay. that crashed, and I think his co-pilot died. But um, you don't really get much about his character. You just know that he was on a rescue type plane. And he ends up, it's obvious he's been there for months. And he sends out like a radio signal every day. And he finally gets a response. And he looks up and he sees a helicopter fighting with a a snowstorm. And the helicopter crashes. (laughs) And the pilot immediately dies. So it's Madden Mickelson plus one dead body. And the co-pilot, the female, gets mortally injured oh, gosh. and is alive and barely ta- conscious, doesn't speak English. 
or whatever language he was speaking. Danish, I think. Icelandic. I don't know. It's one of those languages. Right. And now it's Mads Mikkelsen, a barely conscious woman, and that's it for the rest of the movie. <laughs> and it's him trying to get her to like a way station, like okay. a, a little station not too far from where they are. Right. Puts her on a sled and drags her all the way there for like five days. And it is, it's one of my favorite kind of survival movies that I've seen in, in years. It's up there with like Flight of the Phoenix and, uh, you know, other movies kind of like The Grey and right. so on. But I just think it's such a better made movie than any of the rest of them. Interesting. At the same, on the same vein as a movie called Sticks, The Woman on the Boat. Uh, we kind of breezed over this one previously because it's, it was my six o'clock on Sunday movie. But Sticks is about a woman who, again, is an emergency technician. Um, she's like a ambulance technician. Um, she decides to go on a solo sailboat ride down the from Morocco down to Ascension Isle. Oh, wow. If you know where that is, the, yeah. the Darwin Island. Yeah. And solo sailboating all the way down there. About halfway through, she gets into a, a storm. And she's fine. Her boat's fine. She knows what she's doing. But she looks over and sees a refugee boat with like 100 refugees on it. Right, yeah. And they start jumping off the boat towards her. And one makes it and is barely alive enough to do anything. So she brings him back to back to life while calling the Coast Guard and them saying, stay away from it. So it's all about her moral conundrum. Do I go over and help this boat or do I stay here? She doesn't immediately go over there. <laughs> And she delays for about a good 45 minutes of the runtime. Oh, wow. So it's all about her inner moral, like, do I do this? And Hippocratic Oath and all that. So Gotcha. But Sounds yeah, interesting. It, was, it was really good. It was one of those that's a little bit lower on my list because it's it was really frustrating. I'm like, just go and do it. But if she gets closer, they start jumping off the boat and they can't swim. Ugh. So the boat's sinking. And yeah, it's a, it's a whole thing. It was a great movie, but it's just it's. Very, very hard to watch. Gotcha. Uh, the one that just was beat out by Wretched for my top five is actually Peanut Butter Falcon. Okay, yeah. This was one that you were super, super hype about. It is such a great name. And it makes so much sense. <laughs> uh, Shia LaBeouf stars as this kind of like vagrant down in, I think it's like North Carolina, South Carolina, somewhere in there. But it's like vagrant that's just kind of wandering around. And he runs into a guy. Um, who has down, who's a Down syndrome patient who escaped a uh, a retirement home because they didn't know where else to put him. Okay. <laughs> and he ran away wanting to go and meet the saltwater redneck, his favorite wrestler from the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> and this is like modern day. So, you know, figure that one out. But, um, but yeah, the, the friendship between Shia LaBeouf and this kid is just great. And uh, Dakota Johnson from like Fifty Shades of Grey shows up as like, the person who was his best, who was the kid's best friend, but his handler at the retirement home, wanting to bring him back, thinking that him being out with Shia LaBeouf's a bad idea, and I don't know, it was just this like really feel good, feel good like adventure, and ultimately the name Peanut Butter Falcon is instead of Saltwater Redneck, he wants to go by the Falcon, but Shia LaBeouf's like that's a really lame name for a wrestler. Come on, come up with something else. And of course, they're both drunk, and the only other thing they have is peanut butter. So he just starts covering his face in peanut butter and yelling that he's the Peanut Butter Falcon. <laughs> and they eventually find Saltwater Redneck, and they end up having a little wrestling match. 
and he goes by the peanut butter falcon so yeah it's just it was a really fun movie so that's great the only other one that i really need to talk about is the etruscan smile okay yeah i remember you mentioned this one too this is brian cox is a guy named rory who may or may not have cancer at the beginning so he goes to san francisco to find out if he does turns out he does but he's old enough and he's like i've had a good life I just want to go back to Vasily and, and, you know, live out the rest of my life. It's about the fact that he finds out he has a young grandson for the first time. And he's like, we have to raise this. We have to raise him right. He can't be like a guy that grows up to be a chef that doesn't know how to bake and all this. And he's going to be a real man and all this. Okay. And it's just this really fun little comedy and dramedy, I guess about him and his son, J.J. Fields, which is not Tom Hiddleston, but I can see why you'd get confused if you see a picture of him. Okay. But it's him and his son and then the grandson. And I don't know, it's just this really sweet little dramedy uh, where, you know, nothing really surprising happens or anything like that, but it is just a really well-made little comedy. Interesting. And the final one, and I actually do mean final one, is Olympic Dreams. Uh, the movies that was made completely within the athletes village of the Pyeongchang Olympics starring Nick Kroll yep, um, like like big him. mouth yeah. um, a woman a girl named Alexi Pappas and with one single crew member the director and while it does show and it's like the, you can tell that they didn't have a whole lot of footage they have a lot of footage of just like Olympians talking about how it is to be in the Olympics Right. so it's obvious they didn't have a whole lot of footage and they didn't have a whole lot of time but they made a movie within the three weeks of the Olympics interesting and it turned out pretty fun uh, Kroll and Pappas kind of have a little relationship they kind of like left right or uh, lost in translation they don't particularly fall in love but they don't necessarily don't she very obviously probably does he very obviously probably doesn't okay but I like the fact that of the two, Alexi Pappas is actually an Olympian. She's athletics in the Summer Olympics, not winter, but... Right. She was the better character. She... Interesting. Her character, Penelope, had her, like, race the morning right after the opening Olympics, or the opening... Ceremony. Ceremony, yeah. And then had two weeks of just nothing to do. Wow. So it's her... She didn't, she had a personal best, but she still got like 17th mm. kind of thing. So she didn't do all that well. So now she's just kind of wandering around and like is kind of depressed and nobody to talk to and right and all this. So can't really call home during the Olympics because it's in Korea. So she just befriends the uh, Nick Kroll's dentist <laughs> and the two of them just kind of have a little friendship. And then she just needs someone to kiss her kind of thing. Like, she just needs someone. And the scenes with her, like, just desperately needing someone to talk to, just your heart breaks for this woman that, that has barely ever acted before, but she's just killing it. It was great. Like, I absolutely loved her in this movie. But then Nick Kroll was okay. And Alexi Pappas just blew me away. And Nick Kroll was just okay. So... That's interesting to see somebody who is not the actor outshine the actor. Yeah. And 
like I could easily go over the rest of these movies, and I don't really want to just go over everything. But I mean, that's fair. But Safe Spaces was pretty good. Uh, Justin Long was great. The rest of the movie was pretty good. Uh, frustrating to watch because of idiotic millennials. Woman at War was okay. I didn't know why she was doing this, but they have a diegetic score, which is great. Like, a, not a soundtrack, a score. Right. She randomly runs across, and there's a drummer, a sousaphone player, and a guitarist standing there. And then they start playing the score. And then she keeps running, and they're still standing in the background. Or she'll, like, run into a room and, like, need to figure out a way to get get out of something. And you'll see the, the drummer in the background about to play. And then she'll nod to the drummer, and the drummer will start doing, like, a... And then, like, continue. And I absolutely love that. And I love her, like, taking down the various things. But I had absolutely no idea why she was doing it. They tried to explain it, and I just... I didn't understand it. Okay. So I loved the score. I loved the implementation of the score, but I had no idea about the story. And then the ending just came out of nowhere. So <laughs> Official Secrets had no right to be good, but it was starring Kira Knightley as the the woman that uh, leaked the email that about America trying to con the UN into uh, allowing them to be to go to war with Iraq. Right. Uh, I loved the movie. Very, very well done. It is coming to theaters. Um, so if you get a chance to go see it, do it. Official Secrets. It's really good. Okay. Villains, the midnight movie about the, the two that break in and then find the kid in the basement. Right. Really cool. Really fun cat and mouse. Like like reverse Home Alone. Absolutely love the movie, but it, it just didn't quite reach the top five. Fair. Tel Aviv on Fire was really fun. The border of Israeli and right. Palestine and... The, the writer for the TV show. And he's not actually a writer. He was the yeah. production assistant. Yeah, and then they're trying to get him to yeah. change the scripts. And, and then the, the border guard takes his ID, and the only way that he'll let him back is if they have a certain finale to the season. So he's trying to write the finale the way that this guy wants it. Then he starts writing it his own way, so the guy get, starts threatening him. And it was a lot of fun. So, say La Vie, about the... About the one that you got exactly for something else, the... The wedding. Yeah. Uh... The wedding, it's all this groom that's trying way too hard to impress his wife. And yeah. then all of the, the people that are, like, making the wedding and how they're doing everything. It was a really fun movie. A uh, whole lot of screwball crazy crap going on in there. Uh, to a point where it got almost a little bit too much here and there. But I really enjoyed it. So, And the final one, After the Wedding. Uh, I thought this was a thriller. But it's not. <laughs> okay. Uh that <laughs> being said, this is in my top 10. Um, I thought it was a thriller about, like, yeah, Michelle Williams. She goes to New York for money for her orphanage. And then she goes, she's invited to the wedding of Julianne Moore's daughter. Okay. And it turns out that it's actually her daughter and Julianne Moore's the new mother or the new, like, stepmother. <laughs> but while you think that I want my daughter back and all that would be the main, like, basic instinct type right like it does that and immediately they go you have to tell her or i will and they walk into the other room and tell her and then like it's now about the daughter becoming friends with the birth mother and then the julianne moore becoming friends with the birth mother and the husband who is ex ex ex-husband of of him or of uh michelle williams 
rekindling their friendship. And I'm like, what? Wait, where's the thriller? Because like anytime that something like, oh, it's all about the money. Julianne Moore, like, oh, no, 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 no. Uh, look, I know you only wanted like five million. I'll give you 20. <laughs> and it's like, so you just expect Julianne Moore to be behind, like trying something, but it never comes because she's not. <laughs> like, That's it's funny. one of those movies that you're expecting all these like twists and turns, but every twist they cut right away and all the cliches are like no 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 don't don't get me wrong that's not what i'm doing and it's not what they're doing and it's this very heartfelt movie and it's like that's not what i was expecting at all but i loved it It interesting it was great so yeah a whole lot of these movies just blew me away i it's hard to really like say any were bad uh long day's journey tonight was bad And Troop Zero wasn't great, wasn't good, right. but everything else was just really good. So yeah, that's that's my year. It it was a whole bunch of really good movies and Long Day's Journey Tonight. That's awesome. So, but yeah, very cool. Well, that was our episode this week. Please uh, tune in next week where we'll have everybody back again, and we will have. Jenny with Gen Ed, and uh, we will be discussing some other topic. And uh, yeah, check us out on Facebook, and we will talk to you later. Okay. Bye, y'all. Take care.